Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. For the past two podcasts, I've been focusing on time management. I started out by laying out a theology of time, trying to reshape how we think about time and particularly having a much more positive perspective on that issue. And then last week, I talked about uh, core issues of time mismanagement and simply described some core issues that each one of us have to deal with and how if we don't get them resolved adequately, they affect our time use or our time management uh, in really adverse ways. And so it's not just about learning how to use time use or time management tools more effectively. It's about addressing the core issues that keep us, uh, no matter how hard we try, from using those tools. But now we've come to the third podcast on time management, and I want to get to what I think most of you really thought this would be about from the beginning, and that is, how do you get more done? How do you use your time uh, the most efficiently so that you can simply uh, accomplish more, get more done, be more efficient, be more effective, etc.? And I want to talk about some practical steps that I've used over the years that have really helped me in this area. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about is a process of time management, and then I want to talk about just some practical tools that are practical steps that will will help you. So first of all, a process. Uh, The first thing that uh, I do is that uh, I've had to learn to use various time management tools. Uh, And the first one of those is a monthly calendar. I actually uh, keep my calendar electronically, as probably most of you do, and I keep that calendar out uh, several months in advance. And so when I start preparing to uh, make my weekly time use plan and even my daily time use plan, the first thing I want to consult is a monthly calendar. And then the second thing I need are what I call uh, daily worksheets. I'm going to use a worksheet, and believe it or not, I I like a paper worksheet. Now, I've tried doing it electronically, and some people prefer that, but for me, uh, it's just faster if I have a little uh, notebook that I keep with me all the time, and I can uh, use a paper worksheet to write out my daily uh, and weekly plan. And then third, I use something called a routine list, and that is, these are the things that I have to do every week. So, for example, if you're a pastor, you have... Uh, certain sermons and Bible studies you have to prepare every week, or you have a column uh, blog that you have to write, or a column for your church newsletter, uh, those kinds of things. And so anything that you've committed to doing on a weekly basis goes on your routine list, stuff that you have to repeat week by week by week. Now, uh, when I was a pastor, there were a couple of other tools that were really helpful uh, in consulting to build my time use plan. One of those was the worship service response cards. Uh, now, like a lot of churches, we used a various, various kinds of responses. Sometimes people could come forward or go to a prayer room, etc. But we also gave them a card and asked them to write on there uh, any specific prayer concern or any specific uh, response they were making to the message or if they wanted to talk with me as a pastor. And those worship service response cards uh, are very important. And if you will uh, coach people to use them and give them time to actually write on them in the worship service, you'll be surprised how many of those you'll get. And then the last uh, tool I used as a pastor was a ministry or a church master list of the people that were uh, members of our church, and that was when our church was smaller, but as it got larger, uh, a master list of the people that were in leadership in the church that, uh, were, that I was more directly working with and more directly shaping on a continuing basis. So there are five 
uh, tools or five things I want to consult as I start to build my weekly and my daily time use plan. I want a monthly calendar, uh, my a, a weekly worksheet or a daily worksheet, something I can write on to make my plan. You can do that electronically. I still prefer doing that part of this on paper. It's really the only thing I do still on paper, but I like that for several reasons. And then you need your routine list, the things you have to do every week. And then if you're a pastor or a person who has a, a, a way for people to contact you regularly, uh, you want your weekly response cards or your, your, your leadership list or your church master list or uh, the list of people that you're trying to connect with or lead on a regular basis. Once you have those tools, then here's how you use them. The first thing that you do uh, is you make a master list of all the tasks you have to be com- that have to be completed in a given week. Um, I usually do this either on Sunday night or early on Monday morning, uh, and I consult all the tools I've just mentioned. First of all, I consult my monthly calendar, and I usually look out at least four, sometimes eight weeks in advance or eight weeks ahead to uh, to write down the things that have to be done. Now, when you look out four to six to eight weeks, you don't necessarily have to write down everything you're going to do about an event that may be that far out, but there may be some things that you really need to do now uh, so that those that have to be done that far in advance to make an event successful. So you write something down, you check your calendar four, six, at least eight weeks uh, out. And then second, you consult your weekly worksheet from the previous week. In other words, was there anything left over from last week that gets carried over this week that really needs to be on the to-do list? Then third, consult your routine uh, list. In other words, what are the things that you have to do every week, like write a blog or do a podcast or uh, prepare a Sunday sermon or write a Bible study, something like that, something you have to do every week. And then, as I said already, there's some other sources you may need to consult depending on your job. Uh, Like, for example, if you're a pastoral leader, you may want to consult worship service response cards or other means by which people have of asking you for assistance, like texting or email or something like that. And then consult your ministry or your church master list or the list of people that you're responsible for that you're trying to shape or most directly impact in your ministry. So these are the five things we're going to consult as we make a master list of all things that have to be done this week. Remember, again, looking four to eight weeks out on the calendar and writing down things that have to be done related to those events, bringing things over from the previous week that have to be done this week, looking at our routine to-do list and writing a list of those things out that had to have to be done this week, and then response cards, people that have to be contacted this week, or leadership list or church master list as you look through it, key people that you know you need to get in touch with for whatever reason this particular week. Now, all you're trying to do at this point is make a giant list of everything you have to do in the next seven days. At this point, uh, don't worry about prioritizing. Don't worry about uh, how long they're going to take. Just if it's at all on the list that needs to be done in the next seven days, write it down. Make a list. Now, once you've made that list, then you're going to go back through the list and you're going to assign every task on that list to an appropriate day of the week and an appropriate time. In other words, you're going to say, let's say you have 40, 50 items on your list that have to be done this week. You're going to look at number one and say, all right, what day of the week and what time of day am I going to do that? You may say, well, it's going to be a study for a Bible study, and I do my studying on Wednesday mornings, and so you move that over to Wednesday. And you write that on your calendar, on your weekly to-do list, or as I do on a piece of paper that I use that lays this out by a week. And you take number two, and you say, what, when am I going to do this? And you assign it. And number three, and you work all the way down the list, 
and you assign everything on your list that has to be done this week to a specific day and a specific time when you're going to work on it. And I'm going to talk more about grouping things in just a moment, but for right now, don't worry about that. Just move it to the day and to the approximate time that you plan to work on that item. So at the end of this part of the process, you should have assigned everything on your original list to a day of the week and a time of the day that you plan to do that particular activity. Now some things uh, fall into appointments, like you know you have to meet someone at a certain time at a certain place, or you've agreed to a certain phone call at a certain time, or you have a certain meeting at a certain time. And so some things are fairly easy to move on to the day and time calendar. But other things you have a lot more flexibility with, and we'll talk about how to make that work most efficiently here in a few minutes. But for right now, we're moving everything off the first list onto the second list, which is the day and time it's going to be done. So quick review. First thing, consult your tools. Your monthly calendar is four to eight weeks out from the current date. Your worksheets from the previous week, your routine to-do list, and if you have a church list of response cards or a master list of leaders or people you're trying to impact, that list as well. And all you're asking is, what needs to be done this week? Uh, what needs to be done, who needs to be contacted, what needs to be followed up on, what needs to be finished. You make a list of everything that has to be done in the next seven days. Then you go through that list and you assign every one of those items to a day and to a time when you plan to do that this next seven days. Now as you're doing that, I want you to use something that I came up with a few years ago that really helps me and that is what I call the six-hour rule. Now, one of the things about making a time use plan that frustrates some ministry leaders is the interruptions that come, the drop-ins that come, the phone calls that come, the people who uh, pop up into our lives with a pressing need, who, who need some of our time, and we feel a bit of attention. I'm trying to get my work done, but then you're in front of me, and you're presenting a need, and, and it's hard to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to work out sometimes. Um, how much time to give to people that are in these situations because we're facing the deadlines of the other things we said we've committed to or that we need to get accomplished. And so we have this sort of inner struggle going on. Well, um, I learned a number of years ago that the best way to solve this is to only schedule about six hours of work per day. Now you say, wow, you must have an easy job. You only need to work six hours a day. No, 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 no. No, I work a lot more than six hours a day, but I only schedule six hours a day. In other words, I schedule six hours a day of study and meetings and phone calls and, and uh, time that I need for planning and writing. I schedule six hours a day. I assume that at least two more hours of my day uh, are going to be taken up by unexpected phone calls, drop-in visitors, people who just need a minute, things that come up that are crises in the lives of people I care about. That stuff's going to take up the rest of my day. And when I schedule this way, uh, six hours that I plan to get done, allowing for another couple of hours for things to just simply come in, come up that need to be taken care of, I find myself being a lot less stressed uh, because I know that I've committed to getting the work done that I say is a priority, but I've also made available time to meet the needs of people who come into my life uh, who really do need to talk to me or, in, or, or counsel with me or have some, some ministry time with me. Uh, I've learned that that time is not interrupting my schedule, but it is my schedule. And those people are not interrupting my work, they are my work. And so I always reserve some time in my plan for the unexpected ministry opportunities that are going to come my way. Now you say, well, what happens if none come? Well, you either have a shorter work day, which is always a blessing, or uh, you get to move ahead and work on some things that are on the next day or the following day and get uh, some advanced work done on those items. 
Because guess what? Sooner or later during your week, there are going to come up these holy interruptions that are going to need time, and you're going to need to use that time when it comes up and have a plan made to allocate time for those kind of issues. So uh, we've now uh, made a master list, and we've allocated that master list to a time and a day. So now we start prioritizing each day. So you look at Monday, and you see that you maybe have, that you have seven items listed on Monday that need to be done that day. Well, before you get started, put them in priority order. Number them one through seven. What's the most important thing has to be done today? The second most important, the third most important. List them out one through seven. And then, once you've finished making that list, get started on number one and stay on number one until you've finished it or until you've done all that you can do on it for that day. Sometimes you can finish number one, but sometimes you do everything you can do and now you're waiting on a callback from someone or you're waiting on a confirmation or you're waiting on some information. And so you have to say, all right, I've done everything I can do today on that item. So you put a check by it, but you don't complete it. You simply move it forward to the next day, knowing that that's when you're going to have the information you need to finish that part of your, of your task. So right now, let's say we have seven items listed on number one and we have those listed one through seven. Now this is where uh, what I'm about to tell you is very difficult for me to communicate on a podcast. It would be so much easier if I had a whiteboard that I could draw this out for you. But try to imagine in your mind now a column or seven columns, Monday through Sunday. And on Monday you have seven items listed to get done. And let's say you only finish five of those. And number six and seven just don't get done for whatever reason. What do you do with those two items? You move them over to Tuesday. So you move number six and seven over to Tuesday. Now let's say that you come to work on Tuesday morning and there's now um, nine items on your Tuesday to-do list. You say, well, I moved two over from yesterday. Do they go at the top of the list, the bottom of the list? I don't know. But what you do on Tuesday, now this is very important. What you do on Tuesday is you prioritize the nine items you have to do in priority order for that day. Just because something came over from Monday doesn't make it number one. It came over from Monday because it didn't get done on Monday. Now you have to rank it on Tuesday with what's the most important things that need to be done today, one through nine. And then at the end of Tuesday, let's say you only got six things done and there's three things left over. You move those three over to Wednesday. And on Wednesday morning, you repeat the same process again. Here are my five things to be done on Wednesday. I put them in, five, in priority order. These five things must be done. And I get started on them. And let's say that you only finish three of them and you move two over to Thursday. And you come in on Thursday and you do the same thing again. I reorganize my priority or my work on Thursday in priority order. Now, here's the beauty of this process. The beauty of this process is you're going to get to Friday and there are going to be some things that are likely left undone. Now, understand this. Almost all of us get to the end of every work week with some things on our original list of things to do that week left undone. But here's how this process I'm describing helps you. If you use this process I'm describing, what will happen on Friday is the least important items of your week will be the things that are left undone. See, this is what frustrates us about time use. We get to the end of the week and we've accomplished quite a few things, but we look at the things that were left undone and we realize those were some of the most important things that needed to be done. And so now we're in a panic trying to finish them up in some slap a slapdash way or some haphazard way just so we can get something done about them because they were so important. Well, that's why my process, has, uh, work, my process works so much more effectively. If you start on the first day with, say, 30 or 40 items that have to be done in a, cur in a given week, and you allocate those over 
to each day so that you have five, seven, nine things each day that have to be done. And as you work through Monday, what doesn't get finished, you roll over to Tuesday. But you don't just roll it over to the top of the list or the bottom of the list. You reprioritize the entire list on Tuesday. And then once you've done that, you move things over to Wednesday so that every day is a reprioritization of everything that's left to be done. And what happens is at the end of the week, and I've done this for years and I know it works, at the end of the week, you'll look down and say, well, you know, there's three or four things that didn't get done. A couple of phone calls didn't get made, you know, some long-range planning didn't get finished, uh, you know, some things that just didn't happen. But those things that didn't happen were the least important items on the list. And I know that because every day I reprioritized and every day I moved over those things which didn't get done, which were always at the bottom of the list. And so by the end of the week, the things that were the least important are the things that don't get done. And by using this process, the things that were the most important did get done. I gave my priority time to those items. If you'll trust this natural progression, it will cause you to make sure that every single week, the most important items on your to-do list really are accomplished. So that's the process I use for time management. And I've used it for a long time, probably 20 years I've been using this process, and it's worked so well for me. And I encourage you to use it in whatever way you can and however way you may need to shape it to increase your efficiency and your effectiveness at getting more done. Now, I want to wrap this podcast up with 12 practical steps uh, for just getting more things done. Uh, Using the process I just described, of course, but now just some stuff that's helped me over the years. Number one, you're not going to know what this means, but listen closely. Grab a root and growl. Yeah, I said that. Grab a root and growl. A few years ago, I was lamenting that I had so much to do and I didn't know what, how to get started. And I was just mainly kind of venting and whining. And one of the old timers in my church said, well, pastor, you just need to grab a root and growl. And I looked at him and said, I do not know what you're talking about. Probably the same thing you're saying to this podcast right now. What am I talking about? So I asked him, what do you mean grab a root and growl? <laughs> he said, well, pastor, do you know how you get a stump out of the ground? You can stand around and talk about how hard it's going to be all day long, or you can dig a hole, grab onto a root, and growl until you growl and groan and move that stump out of the ground. Well, what he was saying was, just get started. Stop standing around talking about how much you have to do. Stop standing around whining about how hard the job is. Stop standing around lamenting that you don't know what needs to be done first Just grab onto something on Monday morning that's number one on your list and get it done. Grab a root and growl. Get started on a difficult task. Get started somewhere, and you may have to restart two or three times until you find the magic spot that will help you move that stump, but get started. Grab a root and growl. Number two, group tasks. What I mean by this is, Set aside a time in your week when you're going to respond to email, when you're going to read your regular mail, when you're going to respond to voicemail, when you're going to study or counsel or do meetings or do planning. Uh, One of the big time wasters is going from item to item to item so that you do email for 15 minutes, then you answer the phone, and then you try to study for 30 minutes, then you go back to email. No, don't do that. Instead, group tasks. Um, Do email. Then do studying. Then plan for a meeting, then have the meeting, then come back to email. 
Um, one of the things that uh, is, a, is a misnomer is that e email has to be answered immediately. Now, what I try to do is answer email in two blocks a day. I, I usually start the morning with email, and then right after lunch, I'll have another block of email. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't also look at email other times during the day, and I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, but it means that I sit down and try to answer email in blocks. So that I sit down, I look at it, I answer it, and then I let it build up for two or three hours. And then I come back and I sit down and I look at it and I try to answer it. And the same thing on studying. Um, you know, I don't, when I set aside time to study, I, I block out, you know, two, three hours at a time and say, that's study time. And that means no phone calls, no email, no surfing the internet. It means really focusing on study. Or the same thing for planning. When I'm working on a planning issue or trying to make, make a plan for a meeting or plan for an event, I set aside time to do just that. So group your tasks. Um, have blocks of time that you devote to tasks, not careening haphazardly from task to task. All right, number three, make bumper appointments, what I call bumper appointments. When someone asks you for an appointment, it's appropriate to ask them, how much time do you think you'll need? Um, and say, I've got however much time you need. I'm not trying to rush you. I just need to know so that I can plan some other events I have that day. Um, it's appropriate to tell people that they only have 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. Uh, you know, uh, counselors do this all the time. You, you buy their time in 50-minute blocks, um, and you don't get more time, and you can take less time, but they let you know this is the time you have to work with, so let's get serious about using the time effectively. I make what I call bumper appointments, and that is I schedule things back-to-back, -back, especially if I have something that I have know has a tendency to run over. Uh, if you're a pastor particularly, you know there's certain people that, that uh, you know, take up a lot of your time. They drop by your office, they, they come in to see you, uh, and when you, you know that when they come, they'll take all the time you'll give them. I remember once I had a fellow that used to come by every Friday morning, and you'll know by what I'm about to tell you, his age, but he would come by and say, well, I just dropped my wife off at the beauty parlor, and I had some time to kill, so I thought I'd come by and see what you were doing. He, he thought that Friday morning time to kill was to be done in the church office. And so um, I, I would tell him, you know, well, I've got 15 minutes, but I've got another appointment at 11. And my other appointment might be email or my other appointment might be studying. But I, I, I just knew that I had to bumper, uh, make a bumper appointment with him that it was going to bump up against something else that would get, keep me moving. Now, I'm not saying that you use this strategy to be cold or callous or to cut people off. But I think every one of you that's in ministry leadership know what I'm talking about. You have to control the amount of time that you give some people, um, or they'll just take all. They'll just take. They'll take all the time you'll give them. Uh, and some of them are not mean spirited. They're just talkative, and they just uh, can easily take up more time than is really needed. Number four, work all the time you're at work. That means you're at work. There's no computer games. There's no surfing the net. There's no standing out in the hallway talking. There's no letting people stop by your desk and tell you about their weekend or tell you about their recent counseling thing or tell you about something they just want to talk to you about. No. People need to know that when you're at work, you're at work. And when you're off work, you're off work. When you're at lunch, you're at lunch. When you're on break, you're on break. But when you're at work, you're at work. That means that they don't that, that you're also disciplined to not be looking around at ESPN on your computer or looking at CNN or Fox News or trying to figure out what's going on with the latest blog out there. No, you're focused on those things on your to-do list, and you're working down that list, and you're diligently focused only on those things. Work while, all the time you're at work. And, if that, and that also means you may need to separate your workspace from your off space. 
Now, I know some of you like to work in public places like Starbucks or coffee shops or places like that, and, and I work those places too when I need to. But I found it most helpful to have a workspace, and a workspace separated from my off space or my family space or my home space. And you say, well, yeah, but you've got a big office. Well, I do have an office, but I didn't always have an office. I used to be a church planter, and for the first several years that I was a church planter, our church offices were in my house. Now, we were fortunate we had a small basement, and so we put the church offices in the basement, and the family uh, space was all the upstairs space. My kids knew that when I was downstairs, I was working, and I needed to be focused on work. They also knew when I came upstairs, I was off work, and I was fair game. I could play, talk, do whatever. And it's separating the workspace from the off space to the home space was really helpful for us, even in church planting. And now I do it um, here by having a workspace that I come to every day. When I go home, I try to not let my home be my workspace. Now, occasionally, of course, I work from home or I have to do work there, but not very often. Because my wife knows that when I come home, I've put, the, I've put work behind me and I really want to focus on just being at home. Here's another one. Learn to work while you're waiting. Read and answer short email and read and answer texts while you're waiting. Um, while you're waiting uh, for appointments, while you're waiting at a restaurant, learn to work while you're waiting. Number six, uh, get a smartphone if you don't already have one. Most all of you have smartphones. I get that. But learn to use it very effectively. Link your email, your voicemail, your calendar, your contacts, your notes. Put as much information as you can on that phone and on the software that services that phone and use it uh, as an integrated tool. And then I would also say use a smartphone wisely and also learn to turn it off. Learn to turn it off. Uh, this surprises people, but there, there are long blocks of time that I turn my phone off. Uh, I am not uh, always available. I go home in the evening. I turn it off during dinner. I just turn it off. Um, I, I, I go on vacation. I, I turn it off. You say, well, but what if there's an emergency at the seminary? Well, we have an emergency plan for how people can reach me. Uh, there's four people here that know how to do that, and they all know how to reach me even when my phone is off. I'm not going to tell you what that method is because then you'd know how to reach me, but there's always a way. Uh, but it's not through that primary phone, and the people who can reach me know that they shouldn't reach me. We often joke here at the seminary, unless something's on fire or someone just died, I don't need to be called while I'm on vacation. So use a smartphone, use it well, but learn to turn it off. That'll also help you to use your time more effectively because you'll get the rest you need. You'll have the family time you need. You'll cut down the conflict because you won't be arguing over the fact that you're working all the time with your wife or children. You get the idea. Number seven, delete all spam email without opening it. You should do that for a lot of reasons, but, fr but frankly, just to save time. If it says advertisement or you don't recognize the sender, just delete, delete, delete. I probably delete, I don't know how many dozen emails every week without even looking at them. And then number eight, throw away all your junk mail when it arrives. Don't spend any time reading third and fourth and fifth and ninth class mail. Just throw it all away, unless it's from Gateway Seminary. Then, of course, you'll want to read it. But just throw all your junk mail away. You don't need to be spending time looking at brochures, reading things about uh, products that are being hawked. You just throw them away. Number nine, if you're still taking paper magazines and newspapers, and I still take a couple, but if you're still taking those and you haven't switched over entirely to electronics, throw them away when the next issue comes. I once went to a pastor's office, and I'll bet he had 500 magazines stacked around. He probably took 10 magazines, and he had them all stacked around in stacks. And I said, man, you take a lot of magazines. He said, yeah, and I keep them stacked in order so I can read them when I have time. And I thought, dude, you're 500 magazines behind. You're, you're never going to catch up. 
So what I developed was the discipline of simply throwing the next issue out, or the last issue out when the next issue comes. And if I'm not able to keep up at that pace, I know I'm taking too many magazines. And even if I'm reading e-magazines or looking at e online sites that, I, that I'm trying to keep up with, if I have more than I can read on a daily or a weekly basis, I know I have too many and I delete them from my list. Then number 10, discipline yourself to what I call reverse deadlines. What that means is something is due when it goes on your to-do list, not on its due date. Now that seems kind of puzzling, I know, because most of you like to work up to the last minute on a project. But I learned this many years ago. Put something on your to-do list when it's assigned and then get it done. Don't worry about the day it's due. If it's assigned, then get it done. Uh, I know that uh, here at the seminary, I, I work with some pretty competent vice presidents, and one of the things I really like about them is when I give them an assignment and I say I need that by a week from Friday, I'll often get it the next day or the day after that. Why? Because they put things on their to-do list when they're assigned, not on the day they're due. And they don't work on them at the last minute before they're due. They work on them, on them at the earliest possible moment that they have time to get to the project. So discipline yourself to reverse deadlines. Put something on your list when it's assigned and get it off as quickly as you can accomplish it, not when it's due. And then number 11, ruthlessly rid your to-do list of everything someone else can do and train them to do it. This means that you may need to put on your to-do list training more people and training volunteers particularly to do things that you don't have to do that other people can do for you. And then finally, and this may surprise you as a time-saving strategy or a, a time-efficiency strategy, but number 12, schedule your family commitments and keep them. And you say, wait a minute, if I put family commitments on my schedule, doesn't that take up more of my time? No. When you put family commitments on your schedule, what that does is it communicates high value to your family. It restricts you from letting that time be taken up by lesser issues that are not that significant. And it communicates to your family uh, that you are going to be there for them and make them your priority, which means that you'll, have, you'll spend less time arguing with your wife about spending more time with your family. You'll spend less time apologizing to your children. You'll spend less time feeling guilty about the fact that you've not done these things. You'll, have, you'll spend less time having to earn extra money to pay for the counseling your family won't need to get over the problem they won't have because you were a present person in their lives. So here's the deal. When I was had when my children lived at home and they brought home their school schedule or their play schedule or their activity schedule or their church schedule and they said hey dad can you put these can you put these games on your schedule or hey dad here's my uh, schedule for the play that I'm in or hey dad here's some stuff going on at church that I want you to be there when I present can you put that on your schedule I would go there and I would add it to my schedule and I wouldn't take it off then if I had to say to my kids hey I already have a commitment that day that I can't break they'd say hey we get that dad we know you have a job we get that but most of the time, I was able to schedule most of the activities, and once I got them on my schedule, I would turn down other opportunities in order to do things I'd committed to with my family. That's never a time waster, and it never takes important time away from our schedule. It is always a good use of our time. Well, time management. We've talked about a theology of time, core issues that drive time mismanagement, and now today, a process of how to manage your time, and then 12 things you can do to simply get more done and be a more effective and make more effective use of your time. I hope these podcasts help you as you lead on.